Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I want you to think for a moment, not just all that is wrong in the world, because that would be overwhelming. Let's think for just a little bit about what is wrong in Danville. Just let your mind think about it. Vermilion County, extending areas, our communities that we come from. Think about what's wrong with families. Any, any family issues in our communities? Jobs? You know, we could say life in general, but how about our schools? Um, in our smaller communities that we're in? Do we have any crime? Do we have any hate? Do we have any anger? Do we have any lust in our communities? Drunkenness? Do we have any issues in our community? Think for a little bit about all that's wrong in the world, but specifically think about all that's wrong in our community. Do you ever want God to just show up when you're thinking about all that's wrong? Do you ever want that? I just want, man, I just want God to show up. Now we know he's going to show up on the end and set everything straight. But do you ever have those days where you go, I wish you could just do a few things right now. Or what's, what are you doing? You ever just sit back and think, what is God doing in all of this? Well, what if I told you that he is doing something? That he is strategically placing people in all parts of our society to bring good, to bring light, to bring love in every nook and cranny, every corner of our civilization, And what if I told you that the people that he's strategically placing in all these places is you? If I told you that. Now, we've been talking about church building, not the actual building itself. In fact, the early Christians didn't have a building. They didn't have those for a long time. We have a church building, what we call the church building. But the building of God's kingdom on earth. That's, in general, what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians. And in Paul's day, and today, I think, there is always a sense of a feeling of jeopardy to what God is doing in this world. Ben Witherington, he said, Paul's work could be harmed Right? The work of building this church. Remember, he called himself a skilled master builder, laid a foundation in Corinth. Paul's work could be harmed, and we talked about this last week, either by the Corinthians tinkering with the foundation. What was the foundation? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Or building with the wrong sort of superstructure on the right foundation. And we talked about that. There's different types of materials, and Paul said some are Perishable, some are imperishable. Some are going to last, some are not. That's what we talked about last week. The Corinthians were having issues. 
Paul is attempting, I think, like a skilled master builder to set this building straight. As it's going up, you see something skewed. What might you need to do? Let's pause adding and set this straight. Stephen Um says of this passage, he says, notice that Paul, and this is what you're going to notice. I'm, so I'm putting this at the beginning instead of at the end. So I want you to be, you have your ears tuned for this. Notice that Paul does not tell them what they must do or who they must become in order to make the transition away from their community demolition. Okay, so Paul's been saying what you're doing is messing it up. Okay, specifically in Corinth, it was divisions in the church. Okay, it doesn't have to be that specific thing for us. But notice that Paul does not tell them what they must do or what they must become. So he doesn't say, all right, it's going astray. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be. He doesn't do that. So you have to listen for this. To change their community demolition project and go back to their calling for community construction, God's community. Instead, what he does is he reminds them what they already have and who they already are. So, your ears, are they ready? Are you listening? So when we read this passage, you're going to listen for, right, those two things, um, what they already have and who they already are. Okay, so listen with me. We're going to look at this first verse. You'll see both of those in this first verse. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, before I go any further, I'm going to pause for one more moment and I'm going to pray again. Because as we start to unpack this, I'm, I, I mentioned this to Charity yesterday. There's one particular verse in here that every commentary I read, the commentator said, now this is profound. And you know, when, you, when you're reading that in a commentary and you hadn't thought that before you read it, you go, what was I missing? And thanks be to God for these commentaries because when they all started pointing out this is profound, I went, oh, then I got to thinking about it. Well, that is profound. Okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you now for the strength, the power of your spirit that dwells in us to enhance our understanding of this passage so that all of us in this room might walk away with a different perspective than maybe what we had before when it comes to your church, your actions of what you're doing in this world. God, I ask that you would give me wisdom to speak your words accurately. Lord, I pray that the end result will be truth as presented today. And I pray that it would be done in such a way that we could walk away and say that was the Spirit of God today. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So notice in that verse, both are addressed. Who are they? They're, they are God's temple. What do they have? They have God's spirit. So who are they? They are God's temple. What do they have? They have God's spirit. Now there's two words Paul could have used for temple. Okay? Now I'm going to put a picture of uh, the Jewish temple. This is not an actual one. This is a and I, th I think near Jerusalem, there's a smaller reconstruction that they've made of what Jerusalem looked like. And so a lot of times when we want to know 
what the temple would have looked like in Paul's day and Jesus' day. This is what it would have looked like. There are two words Paul could have used for temple. He, the one word is hyerion, and he could have referred to the entire temple precinct. So just imagine not just that building in the center, but the whole grounds, right? So that's the temple. Okay, there's a word that would refer to all of that. He doesn't use that word. He uses a different word. The word is naos, which is talking about the, the inner sanctuary. It's the word specifically used to refer to the place, the part of the temple where God dwells. So when we're looking at that verse and we say, do you, not, do you not know that you are God's temple? That's, what, that's the word he's using. He's talking about the inner sanctuary, not just the whole grounds, but the part where God dwells. This is who they are. This is who you are. If you are sitting here in this room and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are part of all of this, Understand that this is true of you. You are God's temple on this earth. And what do you have? You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. But it isn't an actual building at all anymore, right? God's temple is no longer a specific building in one spot. I love this. Actually, it's genius, God's temple on this earth is no longer a building. It's his people, and it's meant to be everywhere. That's genius. Instead of having one central location where we had to make pilgrimages to, God says, I'm going to have my temple be everywhere in my people. That's awesome. But it is still a temple. It is his people, and it is meant to be everywhere. And I want to say, before we go any further, he takes this very seriously. Listen to what he says next. If anyone destroys God's temple... Who's it talking about? God's people. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. It's set apart. This is really important to God. You are that temple, in case you were confused. I like uh, Paul Barnett. He says this. He says, The verbal artistry of Paul's original word order and wordplay should be noted. And so he has it here for us to read. This is how Paul said it. If anyone God's temple destroys, destroy this person. God will. If you ever wonder what God feels about his people, his church, he says, you destroy my temple, I'll destroy you. No hope of coming back from that. Nobody can go against this church, God's people, unscathed. Now, in the next verse, Paul is going to go back to a thought from chapter 1. But before I mention, I don't want you to forget what we're talking about. Who you are, what you have. And I think this is important because when I think about all that is wrong in the world, like we were talking about before, I don't know about you, but I start planning, scheming. Let me tell you what I mean. At school, I'm working in the dean's office now. Which, by the way, busier than I've ever been, but I'm loving it. It's so fun. Um... Not just for the reasons I joke about. I like to joke about, oh, I suspended this many kids today. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I still have to teach two classes because I'm not an official dean yet, so they, ha they haven't had a way to cover my two classes. So I like to go to my two classes and say, all right, guys, I just suspended five kids this morning. Don't mess with me. And they go, Mr. Harmless, this has changed you. 
And I say, no, it hasn't. <laughs> you know, so I really am enjoying that. But I enjoy it for other reasons as well, not just those. I enjoy it because I feel like for the first time in a long time, I have some say and some, some influence on how things might pan out. Okay? How things are going in the school. And when I think about all that's wrong, I start planning, I start scheming. And I find myself saying, and maybe you found yourself saying these words too. You know, if they would just... You ever said that sentence? You know, what they really need to do is just... You know the problem. They need to fix that, and this is how they need to do it. Right? Have you ever done that? At work? You know, if I was a boss, I would be doing things, I'd be doing this thing, and this would be so good. If they would just... Your family? Maybe not with one person, but then, you know, when that one person's not in the room, you're talking to the other ones in the family, and you're like, you know, if they would just... Yeah, I agree. You know what they really need to do is... Right? Man, if, if the world could just get on our plans, everything would be wonderful, wouldn't it? How about in your neighborhood, community? You know what they really need to do? This is what they really need to do. If they would just do this, then we could fix this and this and this, and it would all be better. How about with the government? You ever do that with the government? Either local or federal, you ever go, you know what they really need to do is this. That's half of what we get when, during these political races. This is what we need to do. It's, it's just somebody else doing what we do, except they have a platform and a microphone, right? You know, what we really need to do is this, and if we just did this, it'd fix everything. If we just did this, it'd fix everything. How about in your uh, circle of friends, or maybe when you're talking with somebody, it comes to a, another family that's struggling, and you go, you know, I know, they're the so-and-sos, they're really having a hard time. You know, I've been saying for years, if they would just... Someone you're helping or assisting. Have you ever started a sentence that way? If you would just... Okay, I'm going to say something that the more I thought about it, the more I thought, if you're really listening to what I'm getting ready to say, some of you will not agree with me. Okay, so what I'm getting ready to say next, if you're really listening, some of you will not agree with what I'm getting ready to say next. But I want you to know I'm not saying it casually. And I'm also saying it with a genuine belief right now that I'm saying it on God's behalf. I'm a human being. I could be wrong. Please use your Bibles. If you don't agree with me, open up the book. Validate. Research. Study. Talk to God himself. And ask, is this true? If you complete that sentence, if they would just, if you complete that with anything that is not connected to church, you're missing out, number one, on what church actually is. And number two, I would say you're missing out on the real solution. Now, if you're really listening to me, some of you are nodding your heads, but I want you to really think about it. Think about what I just said. Because this has been, for me, this can come across as very simplistic. So understand that I'm not come, trying to come across simplistic and say, 
Because we do do this as well, don't we? You know what they need? They need to go to church. You ever said that? So I don't want to come across simplistic, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what? What is the church? Is God doing something in the world? Yes, He is. With whom does God dwell? His people. We can use the word the church. When I think about all of our schemings, I think Paul may have thought about that as well. If they would just do this, and that's the thing. We got all kinds of other plans, don't we? And we got all kinds of other solutions we think will fix the problem. But listen to what Paul says next, because I think it's very pointed. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, in other words, I've got the solution. Right? I've got the solution. This is what they need to do. This is what this family, this is what that person needs to do. This is what this government needs to do. This is what these people need to do. This is what this community needs to do. That'll fix it. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that you're wise in this age and that you have the solution, Paul's recommendation is let him become a fool that he may become wise. I'm being very blunt right now, but what I hear when I read that is this. I'm willing to be as foolish enough to say, you know what you need? You need to be a part of church. Let me say my original sentence again. If you, com- if you complete, if they would just, with anything that does not involve being connected to and becoming a part, uh, I'm not talking about pew fillers. We don't have pews, but pretend. I'm not talking about pew fillers. I'm talking about people who are connected, integrated. They, are, they, they become a part of church. If you think the solution is anything apart from that, then I would say that you have the wrong solution. In this passage, Paul is going to say next in these next two verses, he's going to explain why the Corinthians should reject the wisdom, just solutions apart from God's solutions. Okay, let's think about it that way for today. Why they should reject this because it's foolishness in God's sight. And I think that he's going to say something. In fact, both of these Old Testament passages that Paul quotes go a step beyond God just saying, I've looked at it and it's foolishness. It goes a step beyond that into saying, God has ordained that anything apart from his solution will be foolishness. Okay? It won't work. The two Old Testament passages that he's going to quote, one is Job 5.13, that's going to be the first one. The second one is going to be Psalm 94.11. So Paul is going to quote these two Old Testament passages to validate what he just said right here. Let's look at the first one. Verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, quote Job 5.13, by the way, for those Bible scholars, this is the only Job quote in the New Testament. Um, He catches the wise in their craftiness. Think about what Paul's doing. He's using this quote to validate what he just said. Think about what this quote is. Now, if you go back to Job and you're looking at this, this is actually Eliphaz. So those that know a little bit about Job, this is Eliphaz speaking. Eliphaz had a lot of things he said that weren't quite right. 
but this is a general truth that Eliphaz used that is true. But notice, I want you to notice when you read that, that he catches the wise in their craftiness, does not leave God inactive in people in their schemings. He catches them up in their own craftiness. He trips them up. There's a sense here very clearly of God's ordaining involved hand in people trying to solve things apart from him that it is not going to work. Listen to the next one, verse 20. And again, he quotes Paul, this time Psalm 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. I'm going to call upon Thomas Schreiner, one of my commentaries. He says this, to say that the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile does not mean that he recognizes that their thought is futile. The word knows in Hebrew often means that God ordains or chooses a person or course of action. So to hear in 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord ordains that the thoughts of the wise will not be productive. Instead of arriving at the truth, they will discover that what they believed was false. The solutions that we come up with apart from God will fail. God knows this. It's been ordained by His hand that this will happen. All of your schemes, all of your plans, all of your solutions that you come up with, I would even go as far as to say trying to find God apart from church falls into that category because the church, his people, is the temple of God. Not this building. This is just a building. It's an okay building. The people here, if what Paul is saying is true, you are the very temple of God in this community. Like I said a minute ago, I used to feel like this was a little simplistic until I read and understood verses 21 to 23, which I'm getting ready to read. And it hit me like a ton of bricks last night and into this morning. But this is not simplistic. And I don't mind anymore. In fact, I've decided in my own head, I'm not, I don't even mind anymore saying, I'm going to be saying this. Because I, I used to say, you know what you, what you really need? You need to go to church and be a part of church. And I used to feel like that was kind of simplistic. And people were listening to me like, really? That's, you're going to just go to church? Okay, obviously I'm not just saying that, but here's the thing. I kind of am. I'm willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world for the sake of God's wisdom. Now, the next verse is the one that every commentary said, this is profound. And the first time I read it, I thought, what's so pro profound? But have you ever saw, seen something you read, and then the more you read, and the more you read, and the more you read, the more all of a sudden you start going, whoa. I don't have time today for ha to have you read through this is 20 times, okay? So uh, I'm going to ask you to venture in with me. Start off thinking, maybe this is profound. Maybe this is really profound. I don't even know what it is yet. This might be the most profound thing I've read all day. I think it's going to be. Are you ready for it? Let your mind sink into what these words say. Okay, you ready for it? So let no one boast in men... Listen to the second half. For all things are yours. 
See, I try to make it feel more profound by saying it slowly. Did it help? No? A little bit? All? Wait, all things? Are what? First. Everything? Yours. Don't boast of it. Now, in the particular context you're going to see, that what Paul's talking about is, see, they were latching on to, even though Paul wasn't fostering it, they were latching on to Paul, maybe just some a little bit of what Paul's saying, or Apollos, or, or Peter, right? They're latching on to these little things. Or maybe for you, you've latched on to one central idea, like, this is the thing that'll fix the world, or this is the thing that we need to do, or this particular way, or this thought process, or whatever. Paul says, Saul, yours. Don't boast. When I say in men, think those specific ideas, concepts. Don't, don't hone in and narrow down on something small-minded according to what this is saying. He continues on. He says this, whether Paul, so he uses the examples that they're dealing with, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. But then he goes even further. Or the world. Or life. Or death. Or the present. Or the future. Paul says, all are yours. about that. Now I'm going to give you a hint as to why I think this makes sense. If it's true that God's working in this world and the specific way that he has decided to work is church. And if he's working this whole world for his purposes and we're with that, all laid out before us. Let me dig in a little bit deeper here. Thomas Schreiner says this. Here he explains that such divisions are foolish. He goes back to their specific issue. They're divided over different people. For us, it's not Paul and Apollos and Cephas, right? That's not who we're divided over. But maybe we're like, well, I really think this needs to happen or I really think this needs to happen. It could be even be about how you think church ought to be. I think it ought to be this way. I think we ought to do this. I think this is the thing. Little parties and little groups, and then you start to build alliances. Are we that much different than this church? Here he explains that such divisions are foolish, for why select one above the other when all of them are for the benefit of the Corinthians? The Corinthians and their divisions are satisfied with so little when God offers them so much more. Stephen Um says of this, he says, they don't have to demolish themselves in pursuit of the world because the world is already theirs. This is God's world. And maybe when I started off today and I said, when you think of all that's wrong in the world, and I said, don't you ever wish God would show up? Maybe he already has, and maybe he is working on it, and maybe he is doing things in this world, and maybe the way he's doing it is through exactly the way he said he was going to, his people. His people. 
So we don't have to go out and demolish the world or ourselves in pursuit of the world because the world is already theirs. Life is not something to be achieved or earned. It's already theirs. The Christian life in God. Death is not something to be dreaded. It's already been demolished. The present and the future can be fully embraced without anxiety, worry, or alarm. Why? You're on God's team. They're already yours. He wins. He always does. On top of all this, we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Verse 16 said, Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The very Spirit of God, the one who searches the depths of God, dwells in our midst to ensure that the building holds together, filling it with the life and beauty of God. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, it's all yours. All is yours. And then he tells us how it's possible. Because you are Christ's bought with a price. And Christ is God's. That is profound, isn't it? This is one of those thoughts that I think if you are allow yourself to dig into this, you could spend a lifetime dwelling on all that God has given you. There's a parallel to this passage found in Romans, Romans 8, that says some of the similar things. So Paul says some similar things, Romans 8, 35 to 39. I don't have time to go into it today. But as Romans 8.37 says, believers are more than conquerors. Didn't we just sing a song about that today? Romans 8.37 says, believers are more than conquerors in everything they face, which is another way of saying that God works everything for the good of those who love in Romans 8.28. And the good is being conformed to the image of His Son, Romans 8.29. We may have to dig into Romans 8 this Wednesday. But think about what is being said here. God is, he's in control. If you have seen church as something to do on Sunday morning, a check mark to tick off to make sure you're making God happy, if you've seen church as uh, an extra to getting to know God. Like, I can get to know God. Uh, might be good to do it in church sometimes. If you've seen church in these ways and you have not seen church for what it is, church is God's temple and God's spirit dwells in his people. And so when you look out at the world and you say, what is wrong? What is going on? Why isn't God doing anything? Maybe the problem is you're just not part of the right group, the church. And this is a call for you today because, see, I could sit here all day and I could say, and see, this is the thing. I have done this before. If people would just be more faithful to church, you see what I'm doing? It's not about that. See, I can't get up here and tell you be more faithful. I can't tell you be more involved. 
But if you get the idea of what it is, what will flow from that? Faithfulness, involvement, right? Both. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, and if you've been thinking about church as something that, uh, almost like a restaurant, I come, I hope to be served today a good worship service. I hope to be served today a, a nice sermon. Uh, I hope to get something out of this today. And, if, and maybe you've gone the full distance and said, if it's pretty good, I'll leave a nice tip. If you've thought that way about church, you're completely missing it. You haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue what church is about, if that's how you've seen church. Our church struggles because we have no uh, person here that is a paid full-time, can devote all of their time to making sure that all of your needs are met. We come up short in that. But that's not what it's about anyway. The church is God's temple. It's His people. We come together so that you can say, let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. We can gain from all of this. And so the more people come in, there's more to gain. We get something from this person. We get something for this person. We encourage this person. There's this community that happens, but then we're to go back out into the community, infiltrating every part to be God's temple, God's dwelling place in this world. And if you haven't seen that, you're missing out. If you haven't seen that, you're missing out. Some of you need today to have a complete reset of thought before you leave this building today because you've been seeing church all wrong. Some of you, your whole life. There's a great biblical word for that change and turn around. It's the word repent. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And if God is working on you saying, you know what, I've been seeing this wrong... Here's a clue that maybe you may, you've been seeing it wrong because if I'm sitting up here saying, man, it's all yours and this is what you're... If you're sitting there listening to that going, I don't know, it's chairs and a fair time. I don't, I don't quite get what he's saying. You need to... Man, above all in this room, you need to get on your knees and say, God, I, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm missing it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get to the end and miss it. Because then we could go back to what we learned last week and what did Paul say? He said, there are some that are going to add to this church, right? And some are going to add what gold and silver and precious stones. But then he said, some are going to add wood, hay, and straw. And under the fire of God's judgment, there, he says, some will be there on that last day saved. But basically, Paul says, as if by the skin of their teeth. Some of you will get to heaven and you will stand before God. Maybe you're saved and maybe you are. I don't know. But you might stand before God on that final day and go, I've got nothing to show for all of my efforts and, and endeavors on this earth. I have nothing to show for any of that. I'm here like all of us by God's grace, but I've got nothing. I didn't, I missed it the whole time. You don't want that. Because the alternative is that there are things you can do here that contribute to God's eternal kingdom. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Now I'm going to pray.
And uh, I'm going to wait a few minutes before we do communion. Okay? I may have actually go ahead and play if that's okay. Um, but I'm going to wait. So I'm going to wait like five minutes. Yeah, if you want to go on up. I'm going to wait like five minutes. I don't do, as you know, I don't normally do altar calls here, do I? But I do think that there are times when, as people, you need to go, you know what? I have been missing it. I've been living my life. I've been, I mean, I go out into the world, and I mean, I'm just, all my little schemes and plans, I'm trying to work out. In fact, I'm trying to work it out for everybody else, too, because their life is messed up, but I'm trying to get them on track. Their life is messed up. I'm trying to get them on track. God, God doesn't need you. You may today need to repent. You may need, and I, I want to encourage you, because we don't do this very often, but um, if you don't want to come right up to the front, we have this little section over here, this little section over here, this little section over here. There's something really special, and I, and I know this because there's been times where I had to do it, where I had to get up, walk to the front of the church while the music was playing, and get on my knees before God and say, I'm, I've sinned. Help me to repent. Help me to repent today. I've been trying to figure this whole thing out my way, and God's temple is here for me to participate in. And I've treated your temple, God, like something to do on Sunday. God, forgive me. So I'm going to wait five, ten minutes and while she's playing, and if you want to come down here, come up front, get on your knees before God and pray. If you want to talk to me about it, I'll turn my microphone off so we don't broadcast what you're saying. You want to say, Matt, just pray for me. If you want to do that, you can do that. If you just want to get on your knees before God, you're like, I know, God, and he knows. I'm just going to get right down there and do that. I'll wait about five, ten minutes. I'll wait as long as I need to, to be honest. If you're still up here, if there's still somebody up here praying, I'll wait. We'll wait. Ashley can play a long time. Okay? We got, it. We got plenty of time for you to get right with God. Is the Indy 500 today? Next Sunday? See, you don't, you're not even going to miss out on that, right? You don't have to worry. There's nothing, there's nothing pressing. There's nothing pressing. Right? Nothing more pressing than getting your heart right with God today. So let's take some time and let's do that. And uh, once everybody is back in their seats, if anybody comes up, I'm going to lead you through this and we're going to then participate with this and we're going to say, God, I've repented before you. I just want to be a part of what you're doing on this earth. Okay? I'll pray and then you start. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask now that you would Move in this room today by the power of your spirit, not by my words, but by the strength of your spirit. God, move in hearts, in minds, and thoughts right now. God, I pray for those that know they need to repent. They've, they've belittled God's temple. God, help them to repent. Help them to recognize the, the danger they're in. Because if anybody destroys God's temple, that person God will destroy. Or if there are those today that need to repent, I pray that when the music starts, they will know, Lord, they can come up. Because you are a God of grace and compassion. And the very reason they may be stirred in their hearts today is because you, God, have stirred in their hearts to say, Lord, I need you. Let them know that it's your love that's calling them to get on their knees today. I pray this now in Jesus' name.
Amen.